So just uh, if you're visiting, just the context in terms of what we've been doing, we've uh, had a look at the first chapter, the first couple of verses of Philippians. Paul writes to this amazing church in Philippi that he planted. We had a look at some of the history, how it was planted, all the, all the um, opinions around why it was planted. We had a look at how Paul talks about leadership, that we are first of all saints, all of us together, and that leadership in the church is all the saints together with the elders and the overseers, that there's no hierarchy in the church, that actually we are all called to minister to God, and different people just have slightly different functions, and we looked at that in our second week. And then I started talking about Paul's heart for this church, his amazing love for the church, and I asked that maybe that would inspire us in our relationships with each other and our love for each other, that we are not scared to show affection and love for each other as Paul did for this church. And then we talked about last week about partnership, apostolic partnership, that we get to partner with Jesus, who's the great great apostle, but we also get the privilege of working with other people that are preaching the gospel. And uh, we are all in this together. If we partner together as a, whole, a congregation to minister the gospel to people, and then we partner with other people as well. So we looked at the different people that we are partnering with at the moment, and uh, I trust that that encouraged you. But this morning, I want to talk about growing together in love. And this is what Paul speaks about in these verses. We can look at uh, verse 7 to 11. And remember, he's, he's, already, he's already communicated this amazing passion that he has for this church. And then he says this. Uh, I'm reading for, from the English Standard Version. He says this. It's right for me to feel this way about you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Paul unashamedly loves these people. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Ah, it's so cool. He's, he's a, this is, a, this is a, a man who's done amazing things for the kingdom, for, for other people, and yet he simply says, it's right for me to feel this way. You are in my heart. How many of us, I'm already preaching my message before I'm, read, before I'm even reading the verses, but how many of us don't hold back from just saying to each other, man, you're in my heart, I love you. Ah, it's such a beautiful thing to know that you're loved and that people love you. It's such a, a, a secure thing to know that you are loved. Dads, I want to just encourage you, say you love your kids all the time. Say you love your wife all the time. I don't do it enough. Isn't it true? Well, this, you know the joke, oh, well, I said I loved you on, on when we got married. It's not, the situation has not changed, and when it does, I'll tell you. Guys, that's not good enough. Really, lovingly, let me say, it's not good enough. Tell your wife often you love her. Tell your kids you love them. Tell your friends that you love them. Tell people in the church that you love them. Guys, be unashamedly loving and say you love people. Amen? And he says, whether I'm in chains or defending the gospel or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify, listen to the language again, how I long for you with all of the affection of Christ. Isn't it? I, mean, I, I would love when you miss church to come the next week with that attitude and say, you know, I've been longing to be with you because I've missed you. You're in my heart. We're all in each other's hearts and when someone is not here, part of the family is missing. And we long for each other in the most godly way, to be together so that we can share in this deep affection that only comes by the grace of God. 
that draws all people together. And he says this, and we can look at his prayer. He says, this is my prayer, that your love might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you might be able to discern what is best. My friends, if we ever need to know what is best, we are living in an age where we need to be able to discern what is best and how to live. Because there are so many opinions from so many perspectives pushing in in our lives, and we need to know how to discern and know what is best for our lives. We're living in that age right now. And be pure. We make good decisions. This is what Paul says. There's a logic to making good decisions. There's a logic to knowing, to loving like God wants you to love. And what does that produce? It produces purity and blamelessness in your life. That people can't accuse you of anything. And it says, he goes on, it says, you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. So I'd like to just start this morning with that as an introduction, just looking at two things that Paul says are part of his ministry as a minister of the gospel. He says, do you notice in verse 7, he says, you need to defend the gospel and the gospel needs to be confirmed. That's what he says. I have it in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So the gospel needs to be defended. Have you ever noticed when you speak to people that they think Christians are a certain way and it's got nothing to do with Christianity at all? Have you ever noticed that? I've noticed that a lot. People assume a whole lot of stuff about Christians that they've sort of picked up from the culture and from church tradition and they think that's what Christians believe. And actually it's not what Christians believe at all. And so Paul says we need to defend the gospel. In other words, not in an in a insecure way, but in an apologetic way, in a way that helps people to understand what the gospel really is, what it teaches, and the freedom and the grace that God has given to us, how we can share that with other people. Paul says, defend that. I go around defending the gospel, says Paul. And you and I need to defend the gospel. We need to know it for ourselves. Uh, the, 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 the Dutch have a wonderful... Um, um, Expressing when they say you can taste, uh, you, you can prove. Uh, prove is the D Dutch word, it, it means taste. And so, what they mean by that is you can find when something's authentic by tasting it. You need to know the gospel in an authentic way so you, you, you've tasted it for yourself. When you hear something else that's not the gospel, that you can actually identify it immediately and say, No, this is not the gospel. Come on. We need to be free in the gospel so we can defend it and pass it on. And in the book of Acts, I'm just going to mention a number, number of times, Paul often defended the gospel when it was being misrepresented or when people were challenging it. So I'm going to give you some examples. In Acts 24, in uh, verse 10, he comes before Felix in Caesarea and he defends the gospel. In Acts 25, he's before Festus in Jerusalem and he does the same thing. In Acts 26, before King Agrippa, he does the same thing. And in 2 Timothy verse 4, there's a guy called, um, uh, verse, uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 16, there's a guy called Alexander the coppersmith, and you know, wherever Paul went and um, he preached the gospel, the guy selling idols got really upset. <laughs> so the coppersmiths and the silversmiths who were making all these idols and selling it to people, they got upset because Paul was saying, you don't need that stuff, you only need Jesus. And often there were riots and he had to kind of defend himself because, because the, the, the coppersmiths and the, the people making money got upset. There are also times where he, ex he defends the gospel in a more general way. Um, so he explains himself to crowds that are, are angry. Acts 19. Again, there's a guy called Demetrius who's, a, who's a complaining that Paul's taking business away from him. And there's also times that he um, defends 
the gospel to particular people in terms of they were critical of what, what his message was, 1 Corinthians 9. And so I want to put it to you that all of us have to learn to defend the gospel in this way for our own lives. I love 1 Peter 3.15 where Paul says this, uh, Peter says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And then he carries on, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter also saying all of us, every single one of us as, as believers, need to be able to defend the gospel in the sense of giving a reason that, of the hope that we have to others, to explain it, to understand it, and to pass it on so that other people can enjoy that same freedom. I, I love also Luke 21. Uh, let me start with uh, Luke 12, because the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus says, don't ever get anxious about doing that. Yeah? Maybe you feel a little bit kind of like insecure about sharing what God has done for you, or, or you're afraid you're not going to express it well. Well, listen to what Jesus promises in, in Luke 12. He says, when you are brought before the synagogue, so that's the Jewish context, or before any ruler or authority, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time exactly what you should say. How cool is that? We don't even have to worry. In the moment when we need to have the words in our mouths, the Holy Spirit will put them in our mouths. And we will, what we have to do, we have to walk by the Spirit. We have to hear His voice. We have to ask Him, Jesus, I'm feeling nervous right now. Please help me to say what you want me to say to this person. And the other promise in Luke 21, Jesus again, He says, You will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself, for I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your enemies will be able to resist or contradict. Man, this is Jesus speaking to you and to me. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. You just be a faithful witness, and when the time comes, I'll give you the words, and it will do all that it needs to do. It's a powerful thing. So in that sense, first little point, the gospel needs to be defended, and you and I need to become defenders of the gospel. Secondly, it also says, Paul says, I also confirm the gospel. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, we make great claims about what Jesus can do. Isn't that true? We say, if you believe in Jesus, your life is going to change, and we make all these claims. Well, the truth is that actually we, we make the claims, but they have to be proved by what happens next. That's what Paul is saying. The gospel is defended, but it's also confirmed. And so I want to say to you, the best confirmation of the gospel is that it leads to a radical change for the better in our lives. And our lives change inexorably for the better. Remember what I said to you last week, the gospel can only do you good. It can only do you good. It's, it's making you more and more like Jesus. It can't do you any harm at all. It's only going to do you good, and you're going to become like Jesus. And so in that sense, the gospel is confirmed. And that's why Peter says in 2, Timothy, uh, 2, 2 Peter 1, be all the more diligent to establish firmly your call and your election. There's the sense that the gospel does good in us all the time. And there's also obviously the miraculous confirmation that follows the gospel. And there are many stories in the, the book of Acts and uh, Hebrews as well where people are listening to the gospel and a miraculous thing happens in their lives. They get healed, they get set free, they get delivered. There's this powerful thing that happens when the truth is preached and the gospel is confirmed. Amen? And our longing is, you know, I just want to commend um, one, of, one of our, our kind of uh, values is courage. 
And do you know how much courage it takes to get up, uh, up here and to say, I feel like God is saying that there's someone with a sore mouth. Or I feel like God is saying there's someone with carpal tunnel syndrome. You know that takes great courage. Do you know that? And every time we want to command courage, whether people respond or not, I want to just say, well done for stepping out, for hearing God's voice, and for taking a chance and saying, I'm going to take a chance this morning. It takes incredible courage. And every time anyone shows any kind of courage, I want to applaud from the sideline and say, well done. Well done. It takes courage. And I want to encourage you, every one of you, when you feel that little stirring of something in your heart to find courage, just even as to speak to the person next to you and just say, this is what I feel like God is saying. We want to applaud that courage. It takes incredible courage to step out. Rant over. But I'm just trying to encourage you this morning. Let's be bold for the kingdom. Let's pray until we see more people healed. Let's pray until we see more people saved. Let's continue not to give up doing good. This is what my devotion was this week. Do not be discouraged in doing good, for in, for in due time you will reap the reward. It's a promise from heaven for you and for me. Don't give up. Pray. Keep on praying. Keep on trusting. Why? In due time, God will give us the reward from heaven and we will reap what we are sowing. Amen? So, and this, so that's the first couple of things I want to speak about. And the second I want to talk about this morning is uh, the grace of God that knitted the hearts of Paul and the Philippians together so that they could work together in the most extraordinary way. And you know, there's something that happens in your heart when you have a shared spiritual experience that connects you to that person in the most amazing way. Whenever we go away on on little ministry trips and people come and we minister together and you see the grace of God moving in people's hearts and changing them and people getting saved, something happens in your heart and you are connected to those people in a way that you weren't before. It's a spiritual thing. And so Paul is saying, when you know and enjoy the grace of God, you become particularly close with people. And I want to throw that out again this morning. If we want deep relationships with each other, let's go on an adventure together in a spiritual sense and let God knit our hearts in a way that is extraordinary. Can someone say amen? (laughs) Why do I say that? Well, Paul was Jewish. He was a Jew of Jews. He was this intellectual. He was this... People say he was a small, short guy who couldn't see very well, and, but he had a big brain, and he went around doing his best and loving people, and he, got, he went and spoke to all sorts of different kinds of people, Gentiles, who were completely different from him. And yet he enjoyed this deep, deep affection with these people and because they had a joint experience in the gospel, in the grace of God. And I want to say to you this morning again, there's so many of us from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different cultures. What holds it all together? It's the shared grace of God that is lavished on your life and my life. That's what it is. That's what holds us all together. That's what knits our hearts. And so let's enjoy that. And I said to you already, but Paul is so eager that they should know how he feels about them. It's, you know, it's, uh, you, can, you can feel love in your heart, but un- until you express it and communicate it, it's not, it doesn't mean much, does it? People need to know that they're loved. People need to know that they are cared for and warmly disposed. We are warmly di- disposed 
towards them simply because it puts them at ease and, and we can then share more freely with each other. So I want to ask you this morning and say this, it's a very sad thing when our pride restricts us and restrains us from expressing our affection for each other and our love for each other. Yeah? You know, it's a, there's various levels. I've, 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 uh, in our marriage, I'm not going to say anything to expose you, my darling, but <laughs> there's a very powerful thing that happens in a marriage when you actually admit to the other person that you really need them. That actually you need them. You can't function well without them. And sometimes, guys, we're too proud, aren't we? We're kind of like, mm, we put up that manly thing. Like, you know, oh, I'm doing okay. Your wife says, how are you doing? You say, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing well. No, I'm fine. Desperately in our hearts, what we say, I really need you right now. I'm too proud to say it. Isn't that true? Come on, guys. We need to resist that pride and just admit and say, Jesus, I need you, and I need you as friends, and we need each other. Then something powerful happens, much deeper than just the surface, surface kind of stuff. And you know what I've discovered? That actually people long for that. That's what they are really looking for more than anything else is deep, deep friendship. And I've been away with guys often, and I'm, I'm not picking on the guys this morning, but just to say we're going away next week. You can still join us. Ladies, don't be, don't be, um, don't be duped. Men actually do speak. They do speak to each other. They do open their hearts. And it's wonderful when they do. So I'm, I'm saying to you guys, if you still want to come and join us, come and join us. And it's going to be a great time where we can just connect and open our hearts to each other and learn to show deep love for each other in a way that is real. Okay, and the last thing I want to say, three points this morning. Do you notice that Paul's affection, Paul's love for these people, Paul's, it expresses itself in a practical way where he tells them, but it also expresses itself in prayer. Do you notice that? He says, I love you. I've shown my love. I've given my love, but I also want to pray for you. And so I want to put it to you this morning. If you want to ask Paul... What, is the, what does it mean to live a holy life? Remember, he was the Jew of Jews. He was the guy who understood all the law and all that stuff. If you want to ask Paul, what does it mean to live a holy life? I answer you, he would say one word, love. That's what it means to live a holy life, is to love as Jesus loved. And I want to put it to you that I'm absolutely convinced of the grace of God, that we can do nothing to, to earn salvation in any way. We bring nothing to the table. God does everything. He initiates it. He, he keeps it going and He completes it. But I want to put it to you this, 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 this morning and say that the grace that saves you, that, that, that gift that saves you, is also the grace that energizes you to live a life of love. It's the same grace. The evidence that we are saved by grace is that we have a new energy in our lives to love people. Remember what Paul does in the New Testament. He says, he uses all these images. He says, uh, we, we must be diligent and, dis and discipline ourselves like an athlete. Or we must be diligent and sow seed like a farmer with wisdom. What else does he say? He says, we must learn to work in a team and be obedient like soldiers. Well, if you hear that without understanding the grace of God, you're kind of like, well, that is too hard. That just sounds like work, to, to be like a farmer and a soldier and an athlete. I don't even like running. 
But that's what Paul is saying. He's saying the energizing grace that's transformed your heart. You don't depend on your own energy. The same energizing love that comes by the grace of God enables you to begin to live like that in a way that reflects it to other people. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And so that's why he says we need to uh, learn to be people of love. And if you read Paul's letters... He often spends loads of time expounding and clarifying what it means to be a man, a woman, a person of love. He spends all the time, and it's the top of his list. He says, okay, I want you to pray for others. I want others to live like this as well. And so his prayer is that all of us might grow together in love and abound more and more and more. There's never enough love, is there? You can always do with some more love. Paul says, I want you to grow in love. And then secondly, out of this prayer, he says um, that this love needs to be combined with knowledge, with discernment. That's such an important point to, to stress. Um, it's good to have knowledge, but it must be accompanied by love. Why? Because love is like the lamp. It, 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 it brings knowledge to light. It, it, gives, it gives clarity. And knowledge stops being superficial when it is rooted in love and on, on, in, on the other hand if you know someone who's got a lot of knowledge but has no love in their life there's something missing isn't there we all know those kind of people who are right about everything <laughs> all the right answers know what to do no love yeah so you win the, they win the argument and uh, hands down you feel like well yes that's absolutely right but in your heart you don't feel any love you don't feel like you've loved me come on what good is that kind of knowledge no, Paul says, no, that, it's good to have knowledge. must be connected with love so we win people all the time and don't push them away. And so he says, lastly, that that kind of loving knowledge leads to discerning what is best. And here, I do want to just spend a moment talking about this because the Greek there actually means to test and prove. That's what it means, what is best in a given situation. And I'm growing a little bit tired of, of people saying, the culture in particular saying, Christians are too judgmental. Stop judging. Now, have you heard that thing? Known for what you are for, not for what you are against. That's really cool. I get that. I understand that. We're not called to judge people, but my friends, you and I, every single moment or every single day, are required by the Scripture and by the Holy Spirit to discern through loving knowledge what is best for a situation and to unashamedly stand on that. Don't get allow yourself to be crushed by the culture don't allow yourself to be crushed no the Holy Spirit is in you he's given you all wisdom he's given you courage he's given you bravery ask him to help you every single day to discern in every situation what is best for that situation by the power of the Holy Spirit so you can live what does Paul say if you do that you live a life that is godly a life that is loving a life that bears fruit for the glory of God amen and that takes courage. And people will say, oh, Christians are so judgmental. No, you've got to learn to judge what is best by the power of the Spirit for the situation that we are in and have the courage to stand upon that. Why? Because we want fruit. We want fruit for the glory of God. And that's what Paul says. He says, all of this, in the end, all of this, the fruit of righteousness comes through Christ to the glory and praise of Jesus. Amen. So now, I would love for us to simply pray this prayer 
for each other. Okay, you don't have to come up with anything this morning. You just need to take your, your, uh, your Bible, and we, as I preached line upon line, I want you to pray for someone else. We're going to break bread together, and all I'm asking you to pray for people this morning is that their love might abound more and more, that our love might abound more and more for each other, and that we might be able to discern what is best, that our lives would be full of the fruit of righteousness. That's all I want us to pray for each other, okay? And so we're going to do that as we break bread. And I, I would love everyone to be included this morning, so um, let's make sure that we include people as we break bread so that no one feels that they are on the outside. That it be an expression of this thing that I've been trying to talk about, this deep affection that comes by the grace of God into our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to pray now. And then uh, we've got three tables as usual, two at the front, one at the back, and then we'll finish our time with a little bit of worship, just uh, asking God to confirm these things in our heart. But let's pray. Father, once again, we just want to thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for this amazing prayer of Paul for the church that he loves. Thank you, Lord, for every single person that you're drawing to this body. Thank you, Lord, that there are churches all over this nation that meet every week, and you are upon every single church that, that preaches the gospel, and we want to thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that there's so many different expressions of church. But God, we want to thank you, too, for what you're doing here. And Lord, we thank you for that moment on the night that you were betrayed where you took... You took bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body, it's broken for you. And you took the cup after supper and you said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, every time that we eat, every time that we drink, we want to thank you, Lord, for your cross. We want to thank you, Lord, that we can run to your cross. We want to thank you, Lord, that when we let ourselves down and let you down and let other people down, that we can run to your cross and find healing and forgiveness and restoration. And so I pray, Lord, for every person here this morning, if there's anyone here that feels that sense of alienation from you, I pray they would run to the cross this morning. They would run to your feet and know that at the feet of Jesus there's forgiveness and restoration every moment of every day. Help us to live in that reality. And God, I, I pray as we just spend time talking and, and uh, praying for each other this morning, that our love for you would abound more and more, and that our love for each other would abound more and more. Thank you for your grace that holds us together, that binds us together. Thank you that it's your grace that enables us to understand and know what is good, that we might do what is best. Help us to be discerning people, not judgmental people, but discerning people, that we might know what your gospel is, that we might taste your gospel in our own lives and pass that on to set people free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.